When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor, and what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show, so you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So for instance, we can have polls, we can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, that's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, and if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well podcast. I am your co-host Joshua and I am joined as always by Kevin. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. And we have Anna Merlin on the show today. She is a senior reporter for the Features Desk at Vice News and the author of Republic of Lies, an American Conspiracy Theorist and Their Surprising Rise to Power, which I will say I love that book. I just finished it not long ago. Um, so welcome, Anna. Thanks for coming on the show. We really Thank appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. Yeah. So you are, we were chatting before, you're in New York right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe just give us a little background where you are from and grew up, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then we can talk about how you got into writing about the amazingly interesting topics that you write about. Right. So I am from Santa Fe, New Mexico. That's where I was born and raised. And there's a lot of, um, you know, alternative belief systems in Santa Fe. And uh, we used to go to the flea market on the weekends. The flea market used to be pretty esoteric also. And there was a lady who sold silver jewelry there and she wore a t-shirt with a big skull and crossbones and it said, FDA, are they really looking after our health? And I was like, what is that? I want to understand what's going on with that lady because I can tell that that's not like whatever my parents are into. I want to know what's going on. And so I basically spent, you know, the last like 25 years trying to understand what was going on with that lady uh fundamentally do you feel like you have a a good understanding now of yes. that lady i definitely understand that lady really well not in her specifics and particulars but like broadly i understand where that lady's coming from so i'm done i can go home now it's fine mm-hmm. i can just do something else <laughs> thanks for listening cool. everybody yeah, career over bye. show over <laughs> <laughs> we did it. You've come to the full understanding of how conspiracy theorists work. That'd be nice. Um, so talking about which, 
I mean, it's really interesting because, you know, I, I have some experience in sort of, um, cult-like behavior being sober a really long time, mm. which I'm not going to take apart any groups or anything on the show. That's not what we're here to do. But, you know, there's definitely, there's definitely people within the recovery community that are very, um, strict about certain things and it varies. Mm. It can feel a little weird at times, mm. you know? Um, but, um, so how did you kind of, so you were interested in this woman, which that shirt sounds amazing by the way. Um, so how did you sort of like get that as a career path though? Cause I right. think that's right. usually the, right. the, the interesting origin. Well, like story. what kind of kid were you? Like, were you a good student? Were you an, were you an arty person? Were you lonely? Um, I was a, bookish kid. You know, I was sort of an indoor kid, but like I grew up in the Southwest. So I spent a lot of time, you know, in our backyard foraging for fossils, like our, the hill. Like that real I grew fossils? Up in, yeah. The, the hill that I grew up in was the wow. ocean floor, you know, many thousands of years ago. And my parents were both historians. So I would go out back and find these like shell fossils, you know, and like lizards. And I spent a lot of time like riding my bike and being by myself, but I was also, um, I have an older brother and he's like my favorite person on earth. And he got into the punk scene early. He was already, he had a zine, he played Dungeons and Dragons. So he was kind of my entry into a lot of things. That, Your ambassador. You know, yeah, he was. And he was a very like good and patient older sibling, still is. And so, you know, allowed me to tag along. Like the first punk show I went to, you know, I was 12 and he was 16 and was like, yeah, sure. I'll drive you to the punk show, which like not every older brother would do. So, you know, I would say oh, that's that I, the best. It, was, it was really great. He's a really, really great dude. Um, he's in New Orleans tonight, and it looks like the hurricane that was expected to make nice. landfall did, but he's, like, good. So, uh, yeah, he's on my mind tonight. Um, he's safe. But, yeah, so, you know, I was I was somebody who was, like, very deeply in realms of, like, imagination and creativity and, you know, music stuff and whatever. Um, and so when I – I mean, I finished college and I started working at a record store and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I finished college really fast because it was really expensive. So I was young and I was like, I really don't know what to do. So I started um, what's called stringing for an alt weekly, which is like you, an alternative weekly newspaper, you know, like the Village Voice. I was stringing for an alt weekly in Santa Cruz, sure, California. Yeah. Um, and so I was writing about art and I wasn't very good at writing about art. I'm not actually, that's not my thing. And then I got assigned to do a news story and I was like, oh, I love this. I don't know what I'm doing. So I ultimately went to graduate school um, and started writing for all week. Do you know what it is about it that mm -hmm. you liked about it? Do you know what, what it was that drew you to it from that first yeah. experience? Well, I mean, you, you get to just talk to people and ask questions and understand things and you get to enter like a new world every week. So I really loved that stuff. And I really loved writing for all weeklies, especially because you don't have to, um, you know, you are expected to be objective, but you are not expected to be neutral, which is sort of a difference. Like you can know right from wrong and you can say when something is stupid or something is bullshit or someone is lying, which, you know, um, some other types of reporting don't allow you to do as fluidly. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it's a way to get to explore and learn and do stuff. So yeah, I wrote for all weeklies for a long time. Um, and, you know, started working for a paper in Dallas and Dallas has a lot of conspiracy stuff around the JFK assassination. Um, and yeah. it also, obviously, so there's a guy in Dallas that uh, I didn't write about, but one of my coworkers did. He's an older guy. He sells newspapers by Dealey Plaza, um, you know, positing that uh, JFK was, you know, killed by a government conspiracy. 
And so this guy is not doing anything wrong. He's just like selling kooky little newspapers. It's fine. This is a free country. Um, he's been arrested like 80 something times. Um, and so of course, what did it do? What? Did it make him stop believing that JFK, you know, was killed by the mm-hmm. government? No, right. it strengthened his beliefs. So I started thinking about that relationship between right. suppression and um, uh, growth when it comes to alternative beliefs. And that kind of started me on what I kind of do now. Interesting. Well, you know, Kevin, uh, I don't know if you know this, but when I was about 20, I got really drunk. I I was an, I'm an alcoholic. And when I was 20, I saw JFK (laughs) and I was drinking so much and I got so upset that I made a big sign that said the CIA killed JFK and nobody cares. And I walked up and down like mm. main street in Katati, California <laughs> with in the rain with this sign. Wow. Uh, yeah. Had a big impact. How on did that me. go? I mean, I don't know. I stopped I mean, eventually. Entirely, I, yeah, I did I get calls because I, mean, I called. Possible. Yeah. I think I was just very like susceptible at that time to, to anything really. Sure. Who'd you call? I called the CIA uh, to try to get them to admit oh, what they man. did. And then they I got, that. yeah, I got some weird call later of someone, I think, just trying to make sure I wasn't, you know, too crazy. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah I'm sure you're on a list now. <laughs> like in all seriousness, they will probably, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's funny. Cause I, when I was touring with one of my hardcore bands, we played in Dallas and uh, I made the, the rest of the band go by daily plaza just yeah. to see it you know and mm-hmm. th- there's sort of this like mythical you know conspiracy around jfk because because he was a president he was so beloved or at least that's the story you know mm-hmm. and i think more beloved after his death in many ways but mm-hmm. um you know i it's so interesting because having like i mentioned being in you know kind of recovery communities and uh, my ex-wife is a yoga instructor, and so I have a lot of wellness community friends as well. Sure. And we, we talked about this briefly over email, but it's really interesting to me to see the susceptibility to conspiracies in those worlds, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. you know, I think some of the stuff that you've been writing about more recently around, you know, like the anti-vaxxers getting ahead of the vaccine mm-hmm. and then the Q people not really doing like kind of ignoring almost the fact that Donald Trump was treated with a, with a, with a medicine that was, you know, basically the way it was created was from fetal tissue from abortions. Right. You know, it's like the stuff is at times so easily dispelled, but yet mm-hmm. people are so like, they just want to hold on to it, you know? And, and that's kind of, yeah. I guess, is that, is that part of the reason it's so interesting to you? And maybe just talk about that part of it. Like people wanting, literally wanting to go to the grave over right. this stuff. So there's a really interesting concept. I'm going to I'm only going to talk about like one academic during this. Mm-hmm. I, I can do more, but I'll try to I'll try <laughs> to keep a lid on it. Um so there's a guy named Michael Barkoon and he wrote a book called Culture of Conspiracy. And Culture of Conspiracy is mm-hmm. about the overlap between like far right extremists and UFO subcultures because there is an overlap okay. there. Like Timothy McVeigh right. was obsessed with a movie called Contact. Anyway, but so um Barkoon in 2016 Oh, with this- Christopher Walken. Yeah, I actually haven't seen it. I should probably see it. I've never seen Close Encounters. Like, there's a bunch of like um, conspiracy and UFO like pop culture that I have not consumed. So I just haven't had time. But at some point, I'm sure will. But so in 2016, Mark- Michael Barkun did this paper about um, what he calls the realm of stigmatized knowledge. And so people who 
enter this realm of stigmatized knowledge, you know, are more likely to believe in information that doesn't come from what they see as like mainstream, you know, um, fundamentally corrupt or evil institutions. And so once you are in, in that realm or, you know, the deep end of the pool, as I call it, um, you are more likely to believe in other forms of stigmatized knowledge. So once you get into the sort of new age world, which has a ton of emphasis on alternative healing, um, there's a not very subtle like seam in that world that says that like maybe um, cures for serious diseases are being suppressed by the government, which is a somewhat common belief in that world. Like, you know, that there's a cure for cancer that we don't know about. And it's like, you know, you have to shove vitamin C up your ass or whatever. I don't know what they think exactly. But, um, you know, so once you start engaging in uh, partaking in stigmatized knowledge, it's it the door is open a little bit more. And so, in and of itself, the idea that like the new age or wellness worlds are full of conspiracy stuff is like it's been that way for a long time. What's interesting about the QAnon stuff is that QAnon is is such a far right movement and is now being taken up by people who do not consider themselves to be like Trump fans or in the far right. And so that is mm-hmm. really fascinating to me, and it's like something that we're obviously tracking a lot as well as the fact that like very mainstream sort of lifestyle influencer types, primarily women are starting to promote Q stuff very openly is also really interesting. That's the thing I'm most like is kind of both concerning to me. And also I find really, really like interesting, Mm -hmm. almost like, I mean, and it makes sense exactly what you're saying now that you've said it out loud. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, that totally that that jives with what I'm seeing. But right. also the this idea that really the ultimate goal is this sort of Trumpian, you know, like uh version of the United States. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see these same people start to like disparage Biden specifically and go mm-hmm. with some of the new stuff that's out around the Biden family. Right. But also like start to push sort of these like well, you know, Trump isn't that bad. And it's sort of like this, like the goal, if the goal is to get more Trump supporters, like, right. you know, way to go Q, because it's starting to happen on people that were supposedly left, you know? Previously. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So I have a couple of theories about what's going on. One is just that if you were talking about like, you know, the fact that there's like secret hidden evil and a lot of sort of violence in the world and we all need to like wake up to it like that on its face before you start talking about, you know, Trump fighting the cabal. Mm-hmm. Um, that like that on its face is like pretty reasonable. The idea that like there, there is a lot of Mm. corruption and evil in the world and we need to wake up. Um, but the other thing, and this is not to be super cynical, but you know, you can kind of, if you are say like an influencer or yoga teacher or somebody where there's a lot of you in the world, there's a lot of folks like you, you can kind of grow your Mm. market share by doing something a little bit, um, counterintuitive or, you know, doing something a little edgy, taking some risks so that, you know, there's there's a school of thought that some of that is what's going on, but <laughs> hmm. I don't think it's, it's just, just opportunistic. Is what you're saying? I don't know. I mean, yeah, so, no. I think there's just so. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, so I have trouble. I don't ever want to say that people don't believe what they profess to believe because I don't know. Like, I have no idea, right. you know, mm-hmm. like, we don't know what's in someone's sure. heart. Um, but certainly, you know, like, I've heard of a number of influencers that I would not have heard of, because they started promoting these ideas, you know. Um, and it's also like, you, you know, it's maybe a way to uh, appeal to a broader 
audience, but like, who knows? And it'll, it'll sort of, um, it'll be interesting to see how those people behave going forwards, depending on what happens with the election and whether they continue to decide it's like worth their time to do that or promote those ideas. Mm -hmm. Do you think, uh, that uh, for me, it's, it's kind of a bummer that the conspiracy theorists all kind of got caught up in QAnon together Mm -hmm. because some stuff is fun. Like, I used to right. get into UFO conspiracies <laughs> and I used to get into all this stuff that's kind of fun. And then, right. you know, Joe Rogan comes around and he's interviewing all these people into conspiracy theories. And I listen to Art Bell at night and it's fun. Right. And then one day it was like not fun anymore. And now kind of all that stuff has to go for me, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, there are themes of the UFO world that are still very fun. You know, like you can still listen to Coast to Coast and a lot of it is like <laughs> fun and fine and like you know the thing Mm. is you know again there's always been elements of ufo culture that have like racism in them and like you know far-right alliances and like there's always been corners of even the most fun conspiracy subcultures that have a real like kind of sinister or harmful element to them but you know yeah you're not you're not wrong that the whole enterprise has taken a bit of a bit of a turn um it's it's enabling now it's like i have to stop and go hey i was just that's i was that's my imagination guys we were just having fun like you're not supposed to actually yeah and so one of the one of the things about ufo subculture specifically is that it's rooted in like a curiosity about the world and about the universe and about life beyond Mm. humanity um and there's a lot of conspiracy theories and QAnon is chief among them where there's a lot of like research there's a lot of like you know trying to find out hidden secret things, but it's not ultimately right. a curiosity. It's a, it's a witch hunt. It's a desire to find who to blame mm-hmm. and who to demonize. So there's a, it's a, the, the question of motivation and the question of how people approach stuff that they don't know about is, uh, is real different. Well, I, yeah. And I think that's the thing that's the scary part about the current sort of wave of conspiracy theories for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when, when I sort of circle back to that same community, when I see these, like, you know, and just to put it blunt, bluntly, like thin white women that are like, you know, like, well, we might have to have an armed revolution and right. being someone that actually like lived on the street has been incarcerated, has seen extreme violence in my right. life and who sh- I completely like, shy away from any of that at this point because I just find it to be so utterly traumatizing and disturbing. Mm. I don't even think they have any idea what they're talking about because if you, when you're facing like that level of violence and trauma and it's a whole different world and it's, you know, like personally, I've probably spent a fortune on therapy to try to like get it out of my head, you know? And I just find it like kind of frightening that these are the kind of the directions they're going. So when Joshua says like, yeah, it's kind of fun when you're looking at UFOs, hell yeah, I'm a science fiction fan. I love, Mm -hmm. you know, Star Wars and Star Trek. And those were the things from early on that were like super influential in my life. And I, I'll, I'll watch UFO you know, like stories on Netflix or whatever. I find those things to be completely interesting, but I think when it crosses the line into real life around, you know, people like talking about civil war and like, Mm -hmm. you know, like sometimes things they don't really fully understand. That's where I find it scary. And it's almost like willful, willful ignorance at times, you know, and it's it's like, yeah. And it's cosplay. And it's also like the, the logic of internet rhetoric, which is that everything is always like a little bit heightened and that's kind of how (laughs) you, that's how you win or that's how you keep your audience is like, you know, 
always finding a way to ratchet it up a little bit. But yeah, it is really frightening. Um, you know, I write, uh, like I wrote for Jezebel for several years and, you know, wrote a lot about the anti-abortion yeah. movement. And some of the the rhetoric of QAnon is sort of very similar to what happened in the anti-abortion movement in the late 80s and early 90s, where there was sort of a mainstream element that was saying, you know, like it was Bill O'Reilly going on Fox News every night and being like, you know, these abortion doctors, somebody has to do something about them. Like, let me mention this specific person's name over and over and over. And then somebody from the fringe mm-hmm. did what Bill O'Reilly was suggesting and killed him. And so, again, like it's one thing to hear um, sort of mainstream promoters of Q adjacent ideas talking about people like AOC or Ilan Omar and, you know, how they want to like, quote unquote, destroy America. Right. But like there are consequences to that rhetoric. And the consequences is that like, you know, those, those Congresswomen are not like safe anymore. The people who become the targets of this kind of mm. violent rhetoric are, are in like real actual danger. And so we started seeing that with Pizzagate and we've continued to see it like the, the main thing, I've said this a lot, the main thing that concerns me about QAnon is the way that it seems to incite and incentivize um, individual acts of like domestic terror. And that's very frightening to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. And that's actually, you said it way better than I did. That's exactly kind of what my thought process is around it. And, right. you know, people have got people both sort of trained some military people that are like doing this stuff now and, mm-hmm. and untrained, you know, that are just right. like kind of have gone off the hinges because they've fallen down this hole of like, I got to save the children, you know? And, right. Right. Um, and sort of the I think, casual suggestion of violence as a means to that end to saving the children or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then, you know, I, I, I've personally engaged with to- trolls as, as Joshua well knows. And mm-hmm. I, I've kind of like backed off that in recent, in recent months because it mm-hmm. started to get scary. Like I was getting, personal messages from people I didn't know. I was getting memes made of myself. And you've had a lot of, I've seen a lot of <laughs> Wait, Why didn't you send me these memes? I never said. I had to memes. block the people. They were being uh, like truly frightening, you know? Yeah, and yeah. like I said, I don't, I'm not going to engage in like the, even the hint of a physical altercation. I'm not going to escalate to that point. There was a not neo-Nazi in- website that made a meme of me that was like a, obviously a yellow star on me because I'm Jewish. Yeah. Like it's very yeah. well spotted, but then Which like I a, a little about. rat on my shoulder and it was so cute. And it was like, you did, you did, you did, you did, you did, you did it was like, looks like I have a cute little sidekick. Like, come on. But well, yeah, and they, like thing. they need to know their, their reference material too. I mean, you've got kind of a, you know, you've got a, a, uh, definitely at least, uh, a reputation is like the goth writer. Right. So like <laughs> writing oh. about occult stuff too, oh. it's like, put a rat on my shoulder. Like I'm all in, Do I? you know? I guess. I, I've seen I some know. references. I've seen yeah. some references. There's a, <laughs> the New York city Antifa group, uh, has made fun of me in the past for being goth, which is very funny. Cause I obviously don't do not know them. I do not, do not know who is behind like that Twitter account. I'm just right. like, Oh God. Um, yeah. They, you know, That's I think so there are funny. a handful of like sort of grown up, um, scene kids uh, for lack of a better word who are in this world and we all kind of know each other um yeah yeah well yeah. i know and the connection that we had is like one of my all-time favorite uh um business owners in san francisco i mean eileen yeah. and i do panels together around you know how we're trying to help the community with our businesses and really um great. but I think going back to that punk rock connection, one of the things that, um, that interests me is like, how did that sort of DIY ethic and, Mm -hmm. you know, being around your brother and then kind of getting into it yourself, how did Mm -hmm. that influence your, your, your career and your writing now? 
I mean, so there is there is like an obvious sort of like the core element of the the punk scene is first of all not just that you can that you can do whatever for yourself, but like that you that you hold power to account, that you're interested in questions of power and oppression and authority and like that like most of us take some element of that into our adult lives. You know, unless you were really just at shows to like break things, which you know, which is fine also, I suppose. Um, but so like, you know, I never obviously really lost that interest in sort of who's in charge and who makes the rules and sort of who, who benefits from, um, you know, from system, systems of power. And so like, you know, I have also written a lot about like sexual violence and sexual violence is fundamentally, you know, right. a system of power failing somebody in a way that leaves them open to exploitation and abuse. So I'm constantly thinking about fundamentally thinking about power and how it fucks people. Um, but also, you know, like, I think that one kind of one element of the punk scene or one thing that it does instill in you is this sense of like, you know, everybody is, everybody is an equal, everybody's on the same playing field. And obviously that's not always how it actually plays out in, in fact, you know, like women and people right. of color in the punk scene are actually often not treated that way, but in theory, it is a democratic space. And so I think it actually, um, and it is a democratic space that rewards like speaking freely and plainly, but also like a lot of punks get very good at like direct nonviolent communication as they get older. It's sort of the opposite of like positive vibes only like white light stuff. It's very much like, you know, when you're being full of shit, I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to find a way to tell you in a productive way because we're making this scene together and we want to not have it fall apart. And so I think that prepares you very well for journalism because you have to find a way to talk productively with people who hate you or disagree with you or who you think are being full of shit. And so, you know, those, those things kind of like served me and the like questions that preoccupied me when I was, you know, 15 and trying to understand propaganda lyrics do, do occupy me still on propaganda. still a really good band. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. They are a great band. I I, I can't wait for live music again. Oh Um, man. Which leads me actually perfectly to the next subject. Mm. Um, because I wanted to talk about, there's a chapter in your book, White Nationalist Cookout. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, it's incredibly vivid in terms of like your experience with mm-hmm. these, these white nationalists, you know, really Nazis, <laughs> you know, white yeah, supremacists. No, like really, um, really legitimately, but, like I am a Nazi, Nazi, like telling you that they're a Nazi and yeah. using Nazi insignia. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Well, so, I mean, I was. Like I actually like it was one of the chapters in the book that actually kind of got me like like I couldn't sleep because I mm-hmm. wanted to finish it and because I was like oh my gosh did something happen to her because here you are you're like a Jewish woman in with it, and you told them I mean you were right. like compl- and that, so like the last subject you just brought up around learning how to communicate in nonviolent mm-hmm. ways with people mm-hmm. like. Just talk about that experience because I I know reading it I felt nervous for you and I like we don't we didn't even you know up until now know each other so I was like right. oh my God, is something gonna happen to her so you know? yeah so I would I would say first of all that like I am I am not cavalier about going into those spaces I'm really careful no. you know I have colleagues who cover um, Nazis much more often than I do and like are the subject of very serious death threats from very scary people um, so you know. I, what happened with that was that I was aware that this gathering was going to happen. Um, and I ended up going with my, with my partner, we had not been dating a super long time. So we ended up going together and we knew that there were sort of two parts to this gathering. There was the private gathering the night before, and there's a public gathering mm-hmm. the next day. And so we decided. I love that, that this is like one of your first dates. 
Yeah, it was it was definitely like <laughs> one of the first times that we traveled together for work, which yeah, I wouldn't necessarily choose again. Not a pleasant weekend. Um, but so we decided that the <laughs> that the best the best thing to do would be to you know go to this parking lot where we understood that all these neo Nazi groups were going to meet up and then just try to follow them and just see what happened. You know, but like because I was with him, mm-hmm. because somebody else was aware of where I was supposed to be, because you know. I had like friends who also knew where I was supposed to be. And because I was relatively certain that this particular group of Nazis sort of was courting publicity, I knew that it was probably relatively safe. Um, I would not sneak into like a gathering of, you know, I'm not going to mention their names, but like there are some groups that are like, you know, training in like violent um, sort of like, uh, mm-hmm. th- th- they are training in violence. There is at least one neo-Nazi group in the United States who is responsible for a number of murders that we know about. I would not sneak into one of their gatherings and just expect it to go. We know away. their name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, we showed up at this thing and it actually became obvious as soon as we showed up that the issue was not necessarily going to be being unwelcome there. It was going to be giving them a type of publicity that they would want or that would make them happy. Um, and you really don't want that. And so, you know, like there was a documentary film crew there that was sort of chasing around one of the lead Nazis. Um, and at one point I was eavesdropping on the, one of the filmmakers interviewing this Nazi and he was saying, well, you know, you know that the Holocaust wasn't real. Right. And she's kind of like, oh, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard that. It's like, come on. Like, you know, the Holocaust happened. I know the Holocaust happened. (laughs) Like you, you don't get anywhere by not challenging that assertion and so for me, you know, the, right. the guy that I told that I was Jewish, um, you know, was like very interested in engaging me probably because I was a woman and not a lot of women in those spaces, not mm-hmm. easy for those dudes to get a date. I tell you what. No. Um, and so, you know, it's like he clearly felt a sense <laughs> of um, identification. As with it me. should be. Right. Yeah. There's not a lot of ladies, um, though there are some and they're just as bad. But, you know, like he was he was thinking that we were making a connection. Uh, and so, of course, it's very useful for me to be like, okay, well, like now is a good time to mention, you know, that I'm Jewish and see what happens. And it was, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, those guys just don't, it doesn't occur to them that there are Jews like among them. You know, they spend so much time thinking about the Jews as like an right. abstract proposition. And then when they're confronted with one, they really have a hard time mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. You know, because I'm not pointing <laughs> scale. Well, and, and you know, I mean, if, well, and if if they're if they're that like, there's sort of that level of Nazi where they're not out training and actually killing people. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of at least like, you know, they're probably a little bit like nervous in general. <laughs> like, there's not the quite the, you know, like sociopathic psychopathic mm-hmm. level. It's you know they're you know, and I'm not gonna give anybody any ground on being a Nazi. Believe mm-hmm. me. But um, it's just not the level of the the other groups that you mentioned, and you know I, I don't I I don't like to say their names mostly because I don't want right. to get into anything mm-hmm. at that level, and mm-hmm. because I don't think they deserve a forum at all. I mean, a platform so, on any level. Yeah, and so the thing is, the thing that I had to kind of reckon with is like, so this particular group of people was trying to form, you know, an alliance of neo-Nazi and far-right groups, and they wanted to become more politically viable, and they had all these, like, hopes and dreams about that, Um, you know, and were really doing their best sort of, like, impressions of, like, normal, reasonable men, and then, of course, the next time they were all in the same place was Charlottesville, 
and one of their number ran over and murdered Heather Heyer. And so it's like even the sort of most mm-hmm. like laughable or ineffectual or whatever seeming of these guys has the potential for like, you know, extraordinary interpersonal violence. And, um, you know, Matthew Heimbach, who was one of the lead organizers of this rally, you know, was later pretty much like drummed out of the movement mm-hmm. because he was he was having an affair with his um, father-in-law's wife or something. Yeah, like something like that. But anyway, when right. his wife found yeah. out, like he um, squeezed her cheeks until they bled. Like these guys are very often perpetrating like violence against women in their lives. Yeah. And so, you know, it's it's sort of like well, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think that's one of the other things that's interesting is they they also can't get along with each other because they all want to be yeah. the the top dog, right? You know, and it's complete and. <laughs> Beyond the the utter ignorance of their stances and the right. fact that they're just basically like an excuse for hate, no matter how they try to frame it, it's um you know you've got a bunch of guys that are trying to be tough guys, and so yeah, know, the, not... the fact that they victimize women isn't shocking at all to right. me, and it's but it, you know it's equally as disturbing as you know there any other platform that they're involved with, and it's yeah, it's like, but as you say, like they do not excel at like building together you know what i mean they're not people who like tend to be able to get a lot done they all want to be in charge and so it is like one of the sort of saving graces that they were like way too dysfunctional as individuals to ever actually like build something that lasts but that doesn't again make their capacity for individual violence any less you know any less yeah Man, I just like I said that that chapter had me unnerved a little bit until I got to the end of it. I was like, all right. I mean, I think Joshua was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that you know the funny thing okay. about that is we left that rally and I was not in a great mood, obviously. And you know, I was like, yeah. we're going to go to Dairy Queen. We're going to go swimming because we're in uh, Eastern um, Eastern Kentucky, which is beautiful, beautiful place. And I was like, you know, totally. we're going to have like a, a couple Amazing. nice hours in this like beautiful place where like none of these Nazis were from uh. fucking Kentucky. They were all from Indiana and Detroit. They had all come from elsewhere. So like, you know, I, I had a nice day after. <laughs> it's funny. We, so we, we interviewed AC Thompson our first season mm-hmm. and he gets, he won't even talk about the threats he gets. Actually. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm not, I can't, he goes, it's basically, and I talked to him privately about it a little bit. And you know, I mean, it's for obvious reasons. I mean, he doesn't even want to acknowledge yeah. Or let them even have any, cause they listen to everything he does. Right. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. And they They're don't, he doesn't want to give them any ground, you know? So and it's, yeah, it's which makes sense. Productive. Like if you're like re airing the shit that they say to you, like that's what they want, you know? And it's just, yeah, it's not, it's not super effective. There's no real reason to talk about it, but yeah, I'm sure he gets it pretty bad. So I, I think it's in this is, you know, um, a subject you've mentioned you've written a lot about is violence against women. And you do have a recent article on vice, um, about sexual assault. And, um, I, I just, you know, it's, it's really, that's one of the things I think, again, that's troubling for me around this new, like, like women influencers sort of falling into this Mm. trap a little bit is that the, the men behind this are like incredibly hateful towards women. Right. And perpetuate a level of violence like on them that is unbelievable. And one of the things that uh, we we haven't talked about this subject on the sh- on the show previously, but 
Um, one of my very old friends, who's also a, a musician and song and songwriter and book writer, um, Jeff Ott, wrote a book about about domestic violence some mm. years ago. And comparing the number of women killed by their partners to the women or the individuals killed during 9-11. Wow. And, and by terrorists on U.S. soil. And mm-hmm. it, like the, the, the disparage, the, the, the discrepancy between those two numbers is crazy. I mean, it it, is. and, and it's, it's still sort of a underreported topic, even with the Me Too movement. Like yeah. domestic violence is a catastrophic problem in the U.S. Yeah. And it's getting worse because of the pandemic. And there's been a little bit of reporting around that, but just the level of control that an abuser is able to exercise over somebody when it's, you know, less safe to leave the house or be in public spaces is really like, yeah, it's a completely hidden, you know, it's like the, the proverbial iceberg. We really are only seeing the tip of it. So yeah, again, like to see, you know, women who promote themselves as like powerful, independent women influencers, like promoting ultimately the viewpoints of like a pretty deeply sort of misogynist corner of the, of the world is, yeah, is, uh, is very ironic. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know how it hasn't been effective to really point it out either, which is the strangest part to me. Like I've had private kind of chats with some of, some of the women, you know, and especially ones that are promoting this like idea around, um, you know, saving the children, (laughs) saving the children, um, and I'm like pedophile you, ring or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, do you realize, like, I will ask them flat out. Do you realize that many of these ideas have deep roots in anti-Semitism and right. extreme violence towards women? Like, are right. you even like aware of the, of like the roots of these like lizard people stories and, no. you know, and they're not, and they don't really seem to like click into it, which is just yeah. utterly mind blowing. I me. mean, the way that QAnon sort of hooked into the Save the Children movement is really like, it's really sort of frightening, because it's like a perfect example of the way that like a seemingly sort of reasonable idea becomes like an entryway into something mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. you know, like there are a bunch of like elected officials who got snared into attending Save the Children rallies that were, you know, sort of QAnon yeah. oriented, because they were like, Oh, I love saving the children. Like, that's an incredibly like, the idea of protecting yeah. children from violence is just such such an obvious, like, of course, we all support it. There is nothing worse than hurting a child. And so it's, it's, it's given these folks like a starting point that a lot of people can agree with. Yeah, I mean, Have any you guys, go ahead. Do Jeff. you guys remember Gamergate? Are you familiar with yeah, that? Of course. Yeah, so right. I had a video game podcast at that time when that was Oof. all blowing up. And um, so they did a similar Trojan horse, which was ethics and journalism Ooh. was the right. was what Gamergate was all about. But really, it was just a giant harassment mob. It was. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I was at Jezebel at the time. So they were obviously very oh, interested wow. in us. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, so one of my colleagues at Gawker wrote this story called How We Got Rolled by the Dishonest Fascists of Gamergate that was very much about like mm-hmm. the ways that Gamergate mm-hmm. sort of used this like total pretext. I mean, Gamergate was a movement that was entirely rooted in a man's sort of like violent harassment campaign against his ex you know like from the day entire, one like from the yeah. very first origins the yeah. entire like from day one of gamer it was, just was this guy yeah. like right yeah. right and so there was obviously like these guys it was revenge very, porn it was and these guys became very fixated on a couple of like individual 
you know, game developers and game writers who are women, but it also just very broadly, you know, it became super obvious kind of what they were doing. And there was also something that sort of started coming up during Gamergate where people engaging in it would then be like, you know, oh, I was just, um, you know, I was just doing a parody of Gamergate personalities. I wasn't really harassing women. Like there was a, there was like a comedy group who had like a guy who was doing like a Gamergate bit, but as part of of the bit, he was like threatening one of the primary targets of Gamergate and like saying that he was going to come to her house and like all this stuff. And it's like, no, my guy, you're just harassing her. You're not like doing a character. Right. Yeah. It's a weird one. <laughs> you're doing your own self. <laughs> yeah. You're literally just. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's, it's been, uh, you know, a lot of this has been a super like incredible education for me having to like sort of disarm myself in many ways. And I live in a household with, you know, my wife and her mom lives on a, in a, in another apartment on our property. And, you know, it's been really good for me to see, cause they'll point stuff out all the time. Mm -hmm. Like even just little things and not in a way that's like scolding at all. Just like, Hey, just wanted to bring attention to this, you know? And, um, but now, so now I notice it in other aspects of, kind of things online. And then I started thinking about the hardcore scene and mm. what you mentioned earlier around, around the punk scene, you know, on paper, yes, 100% democratic, right. uh, you, you know, in many ways, like, you know, I've said it on the, on the show a million times and I'll say it again. I learned everything I know about being adult by being involved in the punk scene, whether mm-hmm. it's like producing events, you know, making my own art, printing shirts, um, Mm -hmm. you know, managing other people around those events. Um, but there, and a lot of my politics, I mean, you know, and I, I am an unabashed lefty. I don't even make any apologies for it. And, um, I run a business where I give 15% of my profits to my employees. So Mm -hmm. there you go. I put my my money where my mouth is and that's all from punk, right? you know, but I think it's interesting that, and I think it's still a problem in the, in the, in the punk community. And I, and I, you know, you know, as you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm like the old guard, but I would love to see that really shift. You know, it's something that would be really amazing. I think that that's one of the places that it can happen for real. Like Absolutely. people can shift, shift that paradigm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It'd be really hard to be, you know, a person in your teens and early twenties now. Like I can't imagine the yeah. sort of different pressures that they're facing, but yeah, people who are making their own music scenes at that age now, like they really, they have so much there's so much potential to, yeah, to really shift those dynamics. But man, I am so glad there was no Instagram when I was that age. I'm so glad. No YouTube. Oh God. I, just, I, I, no, I can't even imagine like videos of myself from that age. Just oh circulating gosh, forever. Especially how quickly they get online. Yeah. Forever. <laughs> forever. Literally there, never. there are videos of some of my bands online and it's, it's you know, um, so you, it sounds like you were on the road the last few weeks. Do you want to let us in on any of the stuff you were working on without giving away the, you know, kind of the. Oh, this is mostly the, just personal travel. Is. This isn't really professional oh, nice. travel per se. Yeah. Um, my partner and I have been on the road for about a month and we'll be on the road for another month before we get back to LA where we live. Um, but you know, we just kind of wanted to, uh, we have a, we have a minivan. We have a 20 year old Chrysler town and country minivan, but we have a, nice. you know, it's built out. There's a bed in the back, there's shelves under the bed. And so we can travel pretty safely. Um, and so we decided it would be a good time to see our families before it got too cold. 
um, you know, to visit our friends here in New York where we lived for a long time to go to some national parks. Um, you know, but obviously like we're also, you know, uh, we're going to be probably in Atlantic city on election night is what it's looking like, you know, which is a place that was very, um, very damaged by Donald Trump. So that will be really interesting. It is a very interesting time to Mm -hmm. just kind of see what is going on in this country and how it's looking. Uh, it's a little, it's a little depressing, obviously, but, um, yeah, it's been a, it's mm-hmm. been an interesting time. Cause obviously, you know, all of us have been sticking close to home. So it's very, really fascinating to get back out and see, see what everybody's been doing, which is not wearing a mask and clustering indoors and just pretending like yeah. nothing's going on for lots of yes. parts of the country. Yep. Yep. So there's that. I just, we went to Sedona. So I took, we went to Sedona recently and Arizona is parts of Arizona are its own country. For sure. Red. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We were um, in- and parts are very blue. Yeah. The, yeah. Sedona, I think is probably pretty liberal. I would imagine. Yeah. There was, they, they had, they definitely had the Trump uh, like parade every evening though of, of trucks with Trump flags driving oh, around. And my wife, of course, booed them um, multiple do. times. You have to. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then we, she got some cheers from some of the local bystanders, but there was a lot of like that. That's like actually where I started really looking at this, like wellness cue connection. Right. Because I'd see these like women walking around in like these embroidered dresses with like long flowy hair, not wearing a mask in Whole Foods, right, right. you know, and arguing with the staff about not wearing a mask and right. having stickers on their cars that say, you know, basically like, uh, fight all COVID restrictions and things like that. And I'm oh, like, yeah. oh my God. And like, you know, with crystals in their hands. <laughs> and it's not just a U.S. thing. There's an Australian influencer that I've been paying attention to now who's again, like sort of a new agey mommy influencer. So in mm-hmm. some ways that kind of world is very susceptible to bullshit of all kinds, obviously. Like if you're going to sell somebody some of these products, like they have to be a little susceptible. But also – um. Yep. There is kind of a theme in like the new age world, especially among women that like that, that your intuition is very powerful and all you need to trust is your intuition and that like, you know, experts and scientists and whatever are trying right. to suppress like your sort of natural, you know, what's been given to you by the spirit, whatever. And so, you know, the spirit is telling me that mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to wear a mask in Whole Foods and, you know, like people, people don't really Ooh. question their question their assessments. But yeah, I've seen a lot of that too. And a lot of different versions of it. And again, those people would be very offended if you were like, yeah, this is the exact same argument that I'm hearing from, you know, some far right radio host. And here you are reproducing it. But totally. It's, it's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, it is true. So, um, so what, what did you see? I mean, since we're on the topic, you, were you writing when you were on the road? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm always kind of like, trying to use the time that we're traveling to like get a better sense of the world. But I'm also like, you know, I have a lap desk that we pulled out of the garbage. It's like these, this little plastic lap desk. So I'm just like on my computer typing the whole time. So I wrote a piece while we were on the road in the last couple of weeks about um, a woman named Carrie Rivera, who is like a bleach peddler. Basically she's somebody who says that people should feed their children bleach or give them bleach enemas to, um, Cure them of their autism. What? Yeah. So she would say that it's not bleach. Uh, the product she promotes is chlorine dioxide, which is bleach. Um, if it's if it's prepared in the way that Rivera and other people recommend, it's bleach. It's very dangerous. Um, 
And so she she has been specifically kicked off of like Facebook and pretty much every other sort of mainstream platform. And so she's taken to Telegram, which is also a platform that a lot of far right folks use, like and people who are kicked off of everywhere else. So um, she has like public facing Telegram groups and then she has private ones. So I wrote about something that seemed to be happening in her private Telegram group, which was that um, a father, a person who said he was a father who was taking his, her advice and giving this protocol to his two-year-old, uh, the, the child started having mm-hmm. what appeared to be like a serious medical emergency. And so, you know, members of this group who are all taking the same advice are trying to like talk him through it and telling him, you know, not to call 911. Like she's not around. Carrie Rivera is not around at the time because she was actually at like oh this God. thing called the Red Pill Expo, which is like a sort of gathering of conspiracy. Oh, I see. All right, folks. Oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. It was um, held by G. Edward Griffin, right? Who's one of the sort of like OGs of the conspiracy world. Um, He wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island, which is about like, you know, the sinister tentacles of the Federal Reserve. Which is where they had the- the, Where they literally had the thing. Didn't they have it on Jekyll Island? They literally had it on Jekyll Island. It's like his whole fucking book is about how this like secret cabal came together on Jekyll Island and, you know, conspired to oppress us. It's like, why would you have it there? Of all places. Anyway, um, but yeah, so yeah, I I've saw been... some. Uh, I saw some. Rep- I saw some reporters reporting from there. Oh really? <laughs> I mean, so my thing doing is, their research. I just, I'm just not like going to an indoor gathering of people who don't believe that COVID is real. You know, like I can do my work on those folks in other ways, right. but like I know what they have to say a lot of the time. I've sat in, I've sat in the hotel ballroom with them before. So like, you know, if somebody is like just young and just starting out and is like, should I go cover the event during COVID that's unsafe? It's like, no, you shouldn't. Like, that's not a good decision. Like to put your, your, yourself at risk of bodily harm. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that. I'm working on some stuff around the save the children stuff that I can't talk about, but um, it's very much on my mind. The, right. the sort of save the children movement is what I'm thinking about right now. Interesting. Well, I can't wait to read it. And then um, any thoughts about another book? I would love to write another book, um, but I don't know what it'll be or when. I have some ideas, but none of them would be things that people would want to buy and publish, you know, as publishers. You know, like writing a book is a... I have one friend who wrote an incredibly like popular and um, very well-regarded book. And she's like, I'm never fucking doing that again. That was horrible. Uh, I don't quite feel that way, but it was pretty, <laughs> pretty fucking hard. So, you know, maybe someday I'll write yeah. another book, but it's going to take me a while. Well, I mean, the, the, the current book Republic of lies is fantastic. I've bought a couple copies for friends and I'm going to send my copy to somebody because that's what we do. We, we hand stuff off. No, oh, thank you. Joshua needs me. a copy. <laughs> um, one of our, other podcast guests wants one. So I'm sending him one too. Oh, that's really nice. Let me know um, if anybody needs one. I have a whole shelf of British paperbacks. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's really well researched and that. So I am like, I am incredibly inspired by investigative journalism. And if, if you haven't, if you can't tell by who we have on as guests um, and but also, I'm also very inspired by transformation. So, like, we're going to have Christian Picciolini on in a mm. couple of weeks. Interesting. Um, 
you know, and because of his involvement in the punk community and where he is now, I truly believe in, you know, and not the Christian sense, but redemption. Mm -hmm. Um, and -hmm. I believe that people can change if they're given the right incentive to do so. Um, you know, whether that comes from, from themselves or from the, their community Mm -hmm. that we have the opportunity to do that. But Mm -hmm. I, I like the book is, I cannot speak enough and i am i am i devour books like i have a stack of books on my desk right now or on my book kind of my bookshelf next to my bed yeah. right now i just loved it and thank you it, it, really there was it. definitely a few chapters that i said like i said were sort of barn burners like i i like the ufo stuff is just utterly amazing to me and then i also want to just mention that you the where i first heard of you and why about the book was you were on the frontline documentary about conspiracies on alex um, jones yeah yeah. And, um, you know, I think, um, before we close up, cause we're, we're, we got about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I just would like to hear a little bit about, you know, sort of your experience doing on camera stuff and like how that whole thing came about and, mm-hmm. you know, what you took away from it, especially given the, the, I mean, the scene of him like crying when Trump won yeah. was, was, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, It was what it was, but I mean, he's such an interesting character and I think there's a reason why, you know, like I thought like the frontline could have easily been about the sort of broader conspiracy ecosystem, but it was totally reasonable Mm -hmm. to make it about Alex Jones because Alex Jones isn't a creator of conspiracy content by and large. He's somebody who repackages and like resells stuff that's starting to pick up speed already. You know, he's, he's said as much when he's, um, asked to give a deposition and the many lawsuits that he's currently facing, you know, he says like, we get our stuff from like 4chan Mm -hmm. and like Reddit. And so he really is a sort of good indicator of like where the sort of right wing conspiracy culture is like going. Um, I would say he is also, you know, like the idea of deplatforming harmful folks is very controversial, especially like as Americans, we believe so deeply in Mm -hmm. free speech and free expression but he's also proof that it works. Um, So, and I say that because he recently, like right after my book came out, his lawyer gave him a copy of my book for some reason. I don't know why. Um, Mm -hmm. He did not like it. He did, he did not enjoy it. And so he did like a 30 minute. Yeah. He did like a 30 minute segment about like me with like a, you know, a big photo of me, like look, look in my worst and like, you know, about how I'm like a witch and I'm going to, um, I'm going to, I want to kill America. And I didn't notice that he had done that because he has been so effectively deplatformed that like, (laughs) I just, you know, his audience has to hunt really hard to find him. And so like, usually if somebody did that and was talking about me that way, who had the reach that he used to have, like I would have a really Mm. bad couple days and I didn't, um, you know, I got some weird emails and eventually I figured out why. But so, you know, he is also, um, (laughs) yeah, he's such an interesting sort of like place where these different forms of conspiracy and sort of far right culture meet. He has a very like radically regressive view of the world. He's talked about, you know, feminism as being like a tool of the, of the Illuminati. Um, but interestingly, you know, like he, uh, he seems real surprised that I shouldn't laugh at this stuff, but it's. It's funny. It's like silly, but he seems very surprised that people are mad at him about the Sandy Hook stuff. I think, you know, and like, he must be thinking like, I say so much ridiculous shit, like you're picking that one. But like he, so the thing about the Sandy Hook trutherism is that he chose to go after 
parents who are private citizens, you know, and to say the worst thing that you could possibly say to anybody, which is your child who died violently wasn't real or this didn't really happen. And I think he's been really surprised at how much trouble being a Sandy Hook truther has caused him because he is like, he is very much staying away from that stuff. Even, even in his desire to talk about how every mass casualty event is a false flag, he's not, he's not quite propagating the Sandy Hook Mm -hmm. stuff the way that he used to. So he's, I'm very curious how he's going to evolve over the next few years and how he's going to make his money, you know, cause he's losing a lot of money yeah. and is clearly in some, some dire financial straits. And so I'm very curious to see what happens there. Well, I think the fact that he actually tied himself to somebody that was elected really mm-hmm. did some damage to his credibility among the you know, some of the conspiracy theorists as well, because there's still a fair amount of people out there. His base, his original base would not have trusted anyone elected to president, right, right. regardless if, if they thought it was their guy, you right, know? Right. And I think, I think, you know, I, there was times where I used to listen to a show long before all the Trump stuff, just to kind of see what, cause it wasn't, it wasn't as available. You had to dig for it. Right. Just to see what people were kind of like into right now. The Sandy Hook stuff is utterly heartbreaking to me. It's disgusting. I just, I can barely even think about it without like, and I'm starting to feel a little choked up now. Having kids, mm-hmm. being around children most of my adult life. Right. I just can't even wrap my head around the heartbreak of those parents. And right. then to, when you have somebody being such a dipshit, complete, I mean, and total psychopath about, the fact that your kids weren't real. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, I I've listened to like the, this American life with some of the parents. And right. I just like, it's one of the few things that will actually get my blood boiling to the point of like, I wouldn't mind seeing that person not on this earth anymore. Right. And it's you know? hard to imagine being that cruel. It's hard to imagine, you know, talking the way that some of like even Jones, but some of the like further afield conspiracy theorists too, the yeah. way that they talk to these parents and it's such a profoundly cruel and unfair thing that not only do we have just this insane gun violence in this country, but then, you know, people who lose loved ones have to be re-traumatized by people telling them that their loved ones weren't real. It's unthinkable. And if there's anything that should sort of motivate us to want to talk about how we take the power away from like bad and harmful ideas, like it should be that. It should be things like Sandy Hook trutherism and Holocaust denial, like things that do just incredible amounts of damage. Um, So, yeah, I would say that those are those were the hardest people for me to like be around for the book. Like people who are very deep in like Sandy Hook denial are like it's a real it's a real dark place. You know, it is not it is not like any other corner of the conspiracy verse that I can think of. And it's really it's not a place I'd want to go back to anytime soon. Yeah, I, I totally understand. I mean, it takes a lot of energy out of you to be around people that are so deeply embedded in such insane ideas that are so hurtful. I mean, yeah. Holocaust denial to me is on that level. I when I hear people talking about it, my blood boils. I, mm-hmm. I just cannot even, you know, especially, I, I mean, having so many friends who have, you know, their, that's where they, their, you know, their lives started in right. the U.S. was their families came here to hide, right. you know, to get away. Right. And, you know, yeah. it's unbelievable that that's even a thing. I mean, you know. It's again, but, like, um, yeah, it's a, like an, it's an outgrowth of like just historical ignorance and the things that it can lead to. Yeah. yeah. And deep, 
deep-seated hatred. Mm. So um, new articles coming up anytime soon on Vice? I hope so. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting all my energy into one specific one right now. So I hope that something something comes to fruition. Excellent. But I have I have like a, a fun idea at the back of my mind. And I keep being like, oh, I'm going to do this fun story soon. I just have to do this, you know, this other fucked up thing. And then I'll do this fun story. And so every week at the start of every week, I'm like, right. okay, it's time to do the fun story. And then it doesn't happen. But some point I'm going to do something that doesn't make me, you know, want to crawl into the sun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate hearing your backstory too. I, I just like I, every one of us had in, at some point in our lives, uh, your brother that mm-hmm. kind of introduced mm-hmm. us to punk and mm-hmm. brought us along for the ride. And mm-hmm. that's my like perfect vision of, of the punk community is that we reach back and we say, okay, come with me. Cause it's really fun and yeah. you're going to really enjoy it. That's the you goal. know, and, but also seeing the inspired work that you've done over the, the years in your journalism and just being like, no matter whether I agree, cause there was obviously some of the stuff in the book was like, I had to let go of some ideas around mm-hmm. lefty, like, you know, conspiracies too. And I recommend people read it for that reason. You know, Russiagate and some of the other stuff that you got into was it's important to dispel falsehoods, no matter what it is. And no what matter political, where they come from. Yeah. And I just like, you know, I so appreciate that. And it's so hard as like a, is like a, you know, an old punk to want to let go of any, like, you know, that we can be the same in the lefty community too, true. you know, but it's true. Yeah. And so I just want to say thank you for the work that you do and, you know, and, you know, just keep on keeping on. It's really awesome. Like, Thank you. Thank you um, so much for reading it and for yeah. caring and for taking the time. I, I really, really appreciate it. And we hope you enjoyed your time with us, but for everybody, get this book. If you can't afford a copy, email me. I will get you one for sure. It's worth reading. Same. I yes. have like anyone in the phone. world. Mm-hmm. Email Seriously. Kevin and he'll get you a copy. I do. That's what I and do. His emails on our website. <laughs> so, yep. So, um, anything else you wanted to, any predictions for the election? You want to even get into that? Or are you, um, so the main thing, obviously that I think we should all be super aware of is that there's going to be tons of misinformation. There already is obviously, you know, some of the stuff that's happening around like Hunter Biden's laptop, which is not something any of us are going to mm-hmm. remember in a year. Like if you listen to this podcast a year from now, mm-hmm. you're gonna be like, what, what are you talking about? Um, just be really, really on guard, especially election night for like misinformation, you know, half reported stuff, uh, even like relatively mainstream sort of media sources calling stuff too quickly, just please take a, just an extra second before you hit right. share on anything because it is going to be hopping out there. So just really like more than ever, just take a moment before you react to anything. I also do not think we are going to have results on election night. I think it's going to take a couple days minimum. And so no just way. like, remember, it's like a marathon. It's not a sprint and just, you know, save some of your energy, save some of your outrage for a little later. Just try to you know, take a multivitamin, go to bed early, just try to, you know, try to, try to keep, keep your wits about you. Yeah, totally. Well, impossible, on, impossible, yeah. impossible. Mm-hmm. On the good news front, um, North Carolina and Pennsylvania are now going to have nine days after election day to thank receive God. and count ballots. Thank God. Seriously. So, thank Thank you for those two Supreme Court. Yeah. Um, so, well, we appreciate it. Uh, just quick, we're um, we're donating all our Patreon money to uh, Hospitality House SF until the end of the year. Um, and if you want to make a donation to them as well, please do. It's an amazing organization um, who support individuals that are suffering from um, 
you know, mental health issues and uh, addiction get into things like art therapy, music therapy, and housing uh, wow. here in San Francisco. It's a very, very like, you know, real grassroots organization. The, the current executive director is actually a former client. Um, and I just adore them and many of my artist friends. And I believe Eileen, who owns Ritual Coffee out here, donate to them in different ways over, over the last few years. So wow. that's where our money goes right now. And if you have, uh, you know, um, the means and the time support independent journalism and people that are doing real investigative work. And mm. it's not about right or left. It's about finding the truth. So thank you so much, Anna. Like, thank you really guys so much for having amazing. me. Thank you so Thanks much. so much for coming on. And uh, we'll see everyone after the election because this is the last podcast before the election. Oof, so what an honor. Good luck. I just want to, I'm going to go ahead and just like say like, oh, wow, that election was really cool. Everything turned out great. And America is really happy right now. <laughs> oh, God help us. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. 